ahead and flip to Luke chapter 6, and I'm just going to go ahead and share with you uh, just my story about the Bible and just uh, my experience with it uh, while you flip there. Um, I will never forget, uh, I was telling uh, Catherine here um, that I was in a philosophy class in college, and um, I was really searching and trying to figure out what I believed, and I had just gotten over um, uh, in high school the death of my mother, which was really tragic, came from a broken home, and I really wanted to know, you know, what is this, uh, what is this Christianity thing all about? What is this God thing all about? And I was in a philosophy class, and they asked the question, if you knew there was a God, would you change their life, your life today? And I remember thinking, Immediately, I knew the answer, and I knew that I would absolutely change my life because I was living um, very contrary to what I thought would please God at all. It was very self, self-indulgent um, lifestyle. And so um, I began to just, that question just began to haunt me. And I couldn't go anywhere on campus without that question haunting me. And I remember, um, who's now my husband, he was the Fellowship of Christian Athletes president at the time. So he's kind of known on campus as the guy who could give you some spiritual advice. And so I remember I had a very jealous boyfriend at the time, and he would not let me hang out with any other guy. But I asked him, I said, would you mind if I met with Brandon Miller and just, you know, maybe asked him a few questions about the Bible? Brandon Miller, he is the safest guy. Go ahead. Go for it. You go ahead and meet with him. And I have no problems with that. And so we began to meet every Monday, and he would share with me and a couple other girls who had some similar questions and and a guy um, uh, about the Word of God and about the Bible. And and he shared his testimony. And we didn't fall in love right away, but he did steal me away from my boyfriend. Uh, Not intentionally, but uh, we were friends for a while. But we just still joke about that. the safest guy around I ended up marrying. Um, but uh, he, uh, he began to share his testimony with me, and he just said, you know, um, you know let's go ahead and start out uh, reading the Bible. We'll read a chapter, and then the next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the chapter. And so um, he said, let's start with John. So go ahead and read the first chapter of John, and then come back, and we'll talk about it next week. And so um, the only Bible that I had was a Precious Moments Bible. How many of you know? Precious moments, okay? So um, little cartoon characters, some of them are a little chubby with wings, you know. And so um, that's the only Bible I had, and my grandmother gave it to me, and I don't think I ever picked it up other than maybe looking at the cute little pictures when I was a little girl. And I thought, how embarrassing would that be if I brought my Precious Moments Bible to the Bible study? (laughs) It's like for five-year-old girls. And so I went to the the Christian bookstore, and I needed to get a real Bible. So I remember asking the lady, "Um, I would like to purchase a Bible today. Could you show me where they're at? And, you know, she asked me, well, which one would you like? And I didn't know that there were different translations of the Bible. I didn't know New Testament, Old Testament. I knew nothing. And so my response to her, I just kind of looked at her, and I I thought about it for a second, and I said, "Um, the Holy One? So she looked at me. Knowing this girl obviously doesn't have any experience (laughs) about the Bible, so she kind of gently led me over to the Bibles and showed me a translation, the New, uh, New International Version, which I still use today. And she got me a study Bible, which was fantastic. And so I was really excited, and I go back and I do my Bible reading. And I was really proud of myself because I was just not one to read the Bible at all. Um, and I do my Bible reading, and he said it was John. But I didn't know there was two different Johns. So there's the Gospel of John, and then later in the New Testament, there's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So the first John that I split to was 1 John. So I, I'm really proud of myself because I, I read the Bible. I read John. That was John, right? There's only one John. How could there be more than one John? So um, I come back, and everyone's sharing their stories about, about their scriptures that they read. And they said, um, you know, it's all about, you know, John the Baptist, and I learned about this, and I learned about this guy, and Jesus' birth. And I'm thinking, I just, 
I must have skipped over that chapter. I really didn't read anything about that, because if you know anything, if you've read those two chapters, they're very, very, very different books. So it gets to be my turn, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll just tell them what I, what I read. And I said, well, it just, it said that if we, you know, don't do what we're supposed to do, that we're hypocrites. And I go off on totally different tangent than everybody else. And I look like a complete fool. And I'll never forget, he's now my husband, but I'll never forget the look on his face. He was like, okay, okay, okay moving on. <laughs> and after a while, we figured out that I was actually reading a completely different book. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have ever looked at the Bible maybe when you were younger or maybe even recently and you just asked somebody, you know, you saw somebody with it and you asked them, wow, have you read that whole book? Have you read that whole book? I remember asking someone that when I was a little girl, did you read that whole book? And it was actually uh, this guy at the time, he goes, yeah, one time in jail, I read the whole thing. <laughs> and so I didn't realize that that wasn't just a book that we just read and that we put on the shelf and then we move on to the next book. I didn't realize that the Bible actually says that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples indeed in John 8.31. And so I, I, as I began to come to know the Lord and I went on a retreat and I, and I really gave my life to Christ, I realized that you don't have to be a, a, a Bible reading to... Uh, to be a Christian. You don't have to read your Bible necessarily, uh, but as a Christian, we're going to want to read our Bible. We, same thing with church. We don't have to uh, come to church to be a Christian, but if you're a Christ follower, you're going to want to be around a body of believers to encourage you in your faith. You're going to want to know the scriptures to be able to know what it says about this God that you profess. And so um, just all in good humor, I'll share with you um, my least favorite scripture, okay? I love all the scriptures. They're all my favorite, but my least favorite scripture would be this. Proverbs 20, verse 13. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. I can't say that I love sleep, but I really, 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 really like sleep. Really, really like sleep. Does anybody else like sleep in here? I'm a mom, so I need all of it that I can get. Okay, I think, in my personal opinion, one of the funniest scriptures of the Bible is in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And it's a, it's a guy who's speaking to his lover, and he said... Turn your eyes away from me, they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. So in other words, you are a hot mama, your hair is like goats, and you've got all your teeth, baby. You are hot. <laughs> I love that. You know God has a sense of humor. <clears throat> My favorite scripture in all humor, Luke 12, 33. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Come on, ladies, we can quote that to our husbands when we're shopping. Well, it's, it's a biblical statement. It's a biblical command that Jesus told his disciples to provide purses that won't wear out. So I can't get the cheap one. <laughs> Are you at Luke chapter 6? That's not really my favorite scripture. My favorite scripture is, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's my real favorite. <laughs> okay, you're at Luke chapter 6. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. 
but the one who hears my words and does put them does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation the moment the torrent struck the house it collapsed and its destruction was complete I want to read to you the same scripture in a different translation the message translation because it's so powerful it says why are you so polite with me always saying yes sir and that's right sir but never doing a thing I tell you these words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living they are foundation words words to build a life on if you work the words into your life you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundations of his rock on bedrock when the river burst its banks and crashed against the house nothing could shake it it was built to last but if you use my words in bible studies and don't work them into your life you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation when the swollen river came crashing in it collapsed like a house of cards it was a total loss let's pray heavenly father i thank you for your word tonight god i thank you that it is alive and living and active god i thank you that it doesn't return void god i thank you lord that all your promises are yes and amen god i thank you lord that you're going to speak through me lord it's not me lord it's you and god i thank you that you have a divine appointment for somebody in here lord for more than one person lord you're going to speak right to their heart right to their situation in jesus name amen amen <clears throat> i love that scripture it is an amazing scripture um, and I'm going to jump back to it in just a minute. Um, after I became a Christian, uh, and I really wanted to know more about the Bible, more about the Word of God, more about the history of the Word of God, and I began to study out uh, different things that I didn't know before, I had no idea the reverence and the awe that the history of the Bible has. And it really challenged me and convicted me, because in the Jewish culture back in the day, that when you became 13 years of age, a young Jewish boy, you will have had to have memorized the first five, vibes of, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. You will have had to memorize all of those books. And then by the age of 18, you will have had to memorize the entire Jewish book of the law. The, the women would actually uh, take the word of God and they would write it on papyrus and they would scroll it up and they would stick it in boxes called phylacteries. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And it, it was with a leather strap and they would tie it around their heads and they would stick the Word of God in that box because they really believed that the Word of God had supernatural power to protect their minds. Not only that, but the Jewish people would write it on papyrus and they would tie it around their wrists because not only did they want to memorize it and they wanted to have it inside of them for protection, but they wanted to carry it with them wherever they went. There was such a reverence and such an awe for the Word of God. They recognized that it wasn't just an ordinary book, that it wasn't just a book that you read and then you put on the shelf and it collects dust and you move on to the next one or you pick it up every 10 years. They recognized that these were life giving words, just like the scripture says, words to build a life on. They recognized, Lord, that, that, that they were powerful words, and so they wanted to carry it with them wherever they went. In 600 AD, the Catholic Church became very corrupt, and they only allowed the Bible in one language, and that was Latin. And the only people who could understand it were the priests. And so they became really corrupt because they could tell you whatever they, that they wanted. If they were the only ones who could understand it, this is where they came up with ideas of purgatory and that you could buy your, your, your relative out of purgatory if you paid enough money. And so the Catholic Church was corrupt, people were being deceived, and that period was about a thousand years called the Dark Ages where they deceived people into thinking that the Word of God said one thing when it really didn't say what, it, what they were saying at all. 
Um, thank God for the men that came that brought reformation. Um, a few of them, if you want to write them down and study their lives later, it's, it's really amazing. John Wycliffe was one of them, Martin Luther, William Tyndale. Um, and these men literally dedicated their lives uh, because they, they knew there was a secret Bible society by Columba, and he actually got together this group of people, and they, they secretly and illegally, because it was illegal to be studying it, um, they illegally uh, got together in this Bible society, and they were reading the Word of God and realizing that what the Catholic priests were saying was not right. And it was a very small group, but they, they continued to create disciples, and out of these disciples came great men like John Wycliffe, who just translated the first book um, of the Bible into English. And it took him 10 months to do it because back then there was no print, so you had to do it all by hand. And he's doing it all on papyrus. If you made a mistake, you would have to burn the whole thing up and start all over again. That is a pretty dedicated man. He was so dedicated to it that he actually ended up getting burned at the stake and executed because of it. Bibles all around them and they burned the Bibles. I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people who have died for a book. But many men have died for this book so that we could have it in our hands. Martin Luther translated the first book into German. And then when William Tyndale saw that it was in German and then print started becoming popular, he said, we have to get this in English and we have to get this in print. Because if we get it in English and get it in print and we get it in enough hands of the right people, the truth will set them free. So he begins to uh, print these Bibles. And his biggest uh, people that were purchasing him were the king's men because they simply wanted to burn them. But he was a wise man and he took all that revenue and he just kept producing Bibles and producing Bibles and producing Bibles. And eventually he was on the run for a very uh, long portion of his life. He was a fugitive and he was on the run because they wanted to execute him. And then finally, uh, after about 11 years on the run, 500 days in jail, they executed him. He was burned at the stake. And his last words were in 1536, he said, Lord, open up the eyes of the king of England that he might see your word. And then three years later, God answered that prayer in 1539. And the king of England, his eyes were open. Not only did he allow the word of God, but he actually funded it for it to be printed, for it to spread so that you and I could have access to it. So these men died. And, and it's amazing to me um, the lack of reverence and the lack of all that we have sometimes for the word of God. When we look back on history at people that have sacrificed their entire lives, dedicating it so that we could have access to that. Some countries still don't have access to it. And, and and I know that there's many missionaries working on that cause, um, but I don't like to take things for granted that God has blessed us with. Amen? The reliability of the Bible is also amazing. Professor Peter Stoner did a study um, in the early 1950s, and he wanted to see um, the prophecies of Jesus. He wanted to see what was the likelihood of all of those coming to pass. And um, he, he's, he didn't have the time to study all of them because there's over 300, so he just picked eight. And he took 12 of his classes, 600 of his students, and he said, let's study it statistically. Let's present all of our findings before the Board of Statistics, and we'll make sure that we do this right. So he studied eight of the prophecies, prophecies like what, were the like what was the likelihood of Jesus being born in Bethlehem as thousands or hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament was prophesied, and then years later it came to pass or his death on the cross and the tearing of his robes, thing like that. So he took eight scriptures, um, eight prophecies, and he studied it. And the likelihood came out to this, one in 100 trillion. In other words, if you, if you had a silver dollar and you put an X on it, and you filled the entire state of Texas up with silver dollars two feet high, and then you threw that silver dollar with the X on it in the, the sea of silver dollars, 
and then you blindfolded a man, and then you just said, okay, go find that one with the X on it, that would be about the same likelihood as just these eight prophecies coming to pass. That is how amazing our God is, that hundreds of years before he even came and walked on earth, that these prophecies were being uh, poured out into this word and then yet fulfilled years later. I don't know about you, but that just is amazing to me and it builds my faith that God is so awesome that he can do the impossible, amen? Not only that, but we have lawyers in our church who will tell you that um, it's very rare in a, in a court of law um, to get two people, two eyewitnesses who see the same thing and their, their testimony is the same. And their, their story um, that they write out, uh, what is an affidavit, um, is the same. And so to have all of these men and women, these fishermen and politicians and kings and all of these people to be able to come together and have the same exact eyewitness testimony is absolutely amazing. The word of God is reliable, amen. The word is a firm foundation. Going back to that scripture, um, he almost talks about it like it's a blueprint. Like it's a blueprint. He's telling us that these are words to build a life on. And there's a lot of people out there and, and people that are getting married and people that are making life decisions. And it's almost like they're, they're throwing up the walls of their life pretty haphazardly. And it's almost chaotically. I'll put a nail here and I'll put a board here and I'll build a window here. Um, just because they're going with the flow of their impulses or they're going with the flow of whatever their parents told them to do. Or they're going with what's popular in, in, in society. And it's almost an, an aimless pursuit. But the word of God, it says it's like a blueprint. It's like a firm foundation that we can always trust in the word of God. I don't know about you, but I know that there's a lot of really bad advice out there. How many of you have ever had really bad advice? Just advice that was just really off. I don't know if you've ever watched the show The Marriage Ref. Has anybody watched that? Very entertaining, very funny. But um, for me personally, I don't really want marriage advice from Madonna. I mean, she's great and, you know, she's a great musician, but, um, but I, I don't really want marriage advice from her. Um, and and the, the, the show is funny and the premise of it is funny, but, but the advice is just off. It's just bad. I don't really want to know how I can better win an argue with, argument with my husband. That's really not the point of marriage. The point of marriage is getting us to work together as a team, not really who wins and who loses. You know what I'm saying? And so the, the, the Bible talks about how the word is a firm foundation, that the word is, is uh, the word of God never returns void, the Bible says. How many of you have ever had a voided check? or a bounce check. Yeah, it's a frustrating situation, but that's um, the comparison of the word of God, and he's saying that you can trust in these words, that they're not going to turn back a void. It's not going to be like you're getting advice that's way out of left field, and it's going to lead you into this life of just absolute destruction, that it's a trustworthy, reliable source. The Bible says in Psalms uh, 130, uh, verses 105, that the word of God is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our, our path. That it brings direction and it brings clarity. He's telling us in this book where to build the walls, where to put the nails, where to, where to put the window. He's telling us how to build our life so that when the storms of life come, like it says, that we're going to be able to stand because we're built to last. Amen? Number two is um, the, word, um, <clears throat> the word upholds us during storms and it comforts us in dry seasons. It comforts us in dry seasons. How many of you ever dieted before? How many of you ever yo-yo dieted before? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. I've never personally dieted before because I've had like the most ridiculous metabolism. I pretty much have the same body since I was 12 years old. <laughs> so I never really went up and down, but I know a lot of women who have. 
And that's what the Bible uh, warns us against, is that we can't base our, our faith on emotions and feelings. And, and that's why sometimes we do go through dry season where, God, I can't hear you, I can't feel you. Because if we just went from experience to experience, we'd be like yo-yo dieting in the spirit. But sometimes God gives us those dry seasons so that we can begin to trust in this firm foundation right here. This is what, uh, this is what our faith is in right here. This contains all of what our faith is in. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from what? The word of God. And so we can build our faith even when we don't feel his presence, even when we don't necessarily feel the tingles or we don't have the experience. We can build our faith just by reading this word, just by going into his word and, and realizing that the testimony is true and it's good and it's reliable. I love that we're doing a series on hope right now. Um, and I was really anxious um, about communicating this message because um, I didn't want to take a break from the Hope series necessarily, but I felt this strong on my heart for a while. But the cool part about it is the Word of God, there's so many scriptures that say, uh, like in Psalms 30, uh, verse 5, it says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I will put my hope. That this is a Bible, this is uh, words that we can rely on and we can put our hope in. That all the promises of God are yes and amen. They don't return void. We're not going to get advice that's all skewed and that it's off and, and it's leading us somewhere that uh, is going to be a danger to us. It is, is, it a, it's, it is a reliable source uh, for us. Um, number three, it protects us against intruders. Um, it, when you get trained as a CIA operative, they put you in a room alone for three to four days at a time. And all you do to be able to, to detect a counterfeit bill is you study real money. You feel real money and you hold real money up to the light and you, uh, and you begin to examine it and you smell it and you do everything you can to just feel and, and, and just get a sense for what real money feels like. And then that way, when a counterfeit bill gets thrown in after three or four days, you can detect it like that. That is what it's like when we study the Word of God, when we really impart it into our hearts, and when we really devote our lives to being able to allow this to be our firm foundation and allow this to be our blueprint. It's like us studying the real thing. And in that way, when something comes up that's, that's doctrinally off, that's going to lead us in a wrong direction, we can detect it immediately because we've been studying the real thing. I know that the, the uh, book Eat, Pray, Love is really popular right now. And so I had heard many Christians that were reading this book, and so I thought I'd check it out. They raved about it and how great it was. And, and I, rent, uh, I checked out the book from the library, and I, I, the first couple chapters I got through, I just thought, wow, um, you know, I know that I'm supposed to uh, take the meat and spit out the bones, um, but there's a lot of bones in here. And there were a lot of red flags in, in there for me because she does call herself a Christian, but she claims certain things that don't line up with the Word of God. And that was really... Uh, frustrating for me and I actually was angered by it only because there are people that are so vulnerable that could read that and they really believe that that's Christianity and that's what bothers me about it. I can handle someone who's living in the world and they're blatantly, you know, they could call themselves heathen, they could, you know, call themselves whatever atheist. I actually, I, I don't have a problem with those people because they're pretty real about who they are and what they believe and, you know, the way that they choose to live their life. But if you're claiming to be a Christian and then you're saying uh, things that, are, that don't line up with the word of God and you're doing things that don't line up the word of God, the Bible says don't even eat with such a person because that, that's what makes Christianity look like we're all hypocrites is those type of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian and I love God and I believe God and then they go and live completely contrary to what this word says. That it, and that infuriated Jesus as well. He was very stern and very harsh with those people. 
Number four, it is an offensive weapon against attack. In Luke chapter four, we see Jesus and he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does he do? The devil comes at him and he throws skewed scriptures that are taken out of context. But what does he do? He knows the word of God so well. He can detect that counterfeit. He can spot that lie and he counteracts that lie with truth. And he said, no, this is actually what God says. And he uses scripture as an offensive weapon. Romans 6 talks about the armor of God, talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Uh, It talks about the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace. And then it also talks about the sword of the spirit. If you think about that, that's the only offensive weapon it, it, it talks about, is the sword of the spirit. You can offensively go after something with a sword. I went through a season recently in my life where I struggled with a lot of discouragement. And I was getting these weird discouraging thoughts to the point where I had to just withdraw from my family for a little bit and just go pray it through because it was really difficult. And, and the, the cool thing is, is the word of God sustained me during that season. Because whenever I got a discouraging thought that said, you can't do it, I was able to come back with truth. I was able to combat that lie and say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, I am more than a conqueror. You know, and we can begin to replace those lies with truth. When we go through dry seasons and we feel like God has completely left us, we can go back to truth that says, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. We can go back to truth that said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we're going through seasons where we just feel like God is absent, God is missing, he's not real, we can go back and, and, and re- read this word that says that these people were eyewitnesses accounts. They said these are not cleverly invented stories, but we were eyewitness accounts to his majesty. We can begin to counteract whatever thought, even lust or, or um, whatever it is that you're struggling with, and you begin to recognize those lies. You can actually use scripture you hide it in your heart it's like an arsenal it's like having an arsenal inside of you you can actually hide the scriptures in your heart so that when you need to draw up your sword and when you need to take up your sword and fight with it you have something to fight with it's sad to see christians that are tossed to and fro whenever a storm of life comes or whenever a trial or temptation comes because they don't know what they have to fight with they don't know what they have to combat the enemy with memorization is an arsenal Hebrews 4, chapter 12, says the word of God is alive and living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the divisions, cutting bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of their heart. Number five, we don't just read the word of God, but the word of God reads us. If we're really reading our Bible properly, the word of God will be reading us. It'll judge our thoughts. It'll judge our intents. It'll judge our motives. It'll encourage us when we need encouragement. When we're discouraged and down, we can pick up this Bible and know that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through it if we're reading it with a yielded heart. That the word of God is alive and living and active. What does that mean? It's not just dead words on a page. It's not just a book that we pick up every now and then. It's alive and living and active in our lives, which means I could read one scripture one time and be going through something, and two years later I could be going through something completely different, but both times that same scripture spoke to me. It illuminated. It was alive to me. It wasn't dead to me, but it was something I could hold on to. I could grasp on to. I could put my hope and my trust in his word. I don't know about you, but the word of God has been a comfort to me many times in my life. I remember when we went through a a hard financial crisis in Las Vegas. We lost our jobs. We lost our home all at the same time. We didn't know what to do, but we felt the prompting to pray. When we went downstairs to pray, 
we felt a scripture, uh, and we flipped it open, and it was a scripture about how God was going to still the storm to a whisper. And I remember that meant so much to us. Our circumstances had not changed. Our, our, our house was still foreclosing. Our job was still lost. We still didn't have any money coming in. We were still going to have to move to Oregon. Nothing circumstantially had changed, but yet we had something to hold on to. We had something to put our hope into. That word came alive to us. That word was living and active to us, and that word gave us something that we could trust in. It was a promise, and we knew that the Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. And we have not faced a financial crisis like that since because God comforted us, and he still our storm to a whisper. Psalms 119, verses 15 through 17 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear about all the men that have died for this book, when I hear about people that are dedicating their lives to it, it's a little bit challenging and convicting for me because I know that there's times that I have neglected God's word. I don't know about you, but there's times where I haven't had that reverence. I haven't had that awe. I've opened it up and tried to check my Bible reading plan off of a list, not expecting anything from God, not expecting Him to speak to me, not expecting Him to to be able to teach me anything. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have more of a reverence. I would like to have this book come more alive to me. How many of you would like that? I will not neglect your word. 